Welcome to Ruffer Radio, a series of podcasts in which we explore the investment universe and share our interpretation of what's going on. Over the next few weeks, tennis fever will grip the nation, as it does year after year. All eyes turn to the championships at Wimbledon. Rackets are dusted off, tennis balls retrieved from the back of cupboards, and we take to courts across the country, inspired by the world's best and seeking to replicate their cross-court backhand slices, which are made to look so very easy. In 1973, Simon Ramo wrote a book entitled Extraordinary Tennis for the Ordinary Player. In it, he showed that in the recreational game of tennis, roughly 80% of points are lost, not won. Usually, the player who comes out on top is the one who makes fewer unforced errors, not necessarily the player who hits the most winners. The principle of winning by not losing is at the heart of Ruffer's investment strategy. And in current market conditions, in which almost all conventional assets have shown their vulnerabilities, hitting winners has become a whole lot more difficult. So investors are looking to more creative protection strategies to ensure they don't lose. My name is Rory McIver, and today I'm delighted to be joined by investment director Lauren French and research director Andrew Van Bilgen to discuss how Ruffer's protection strategies have evolved in a much-changed market landscape. And we'll look at what might be needed to preserve the real value of assets in this new market regime. Lauren, Andrew, a very warm welcome to you both. Thanks, Rory. Thank you. Lauren, I thought we might begin with uh, a bit of an overview as to why protecting the downside, why protection is so important to you at Ruffer. Well, capital preservation is the at the heart of, of everything that we do here at Ruffer and, and the way that we construct portfolios. And what we found is that there's um, huge power in protecting against the downside. It's very difficult to make up for a loss that you experience in your investment. So if we start with £100 and we lose 50% and we get to £50, just to get back to where you started from, you need uh, 100% growth. So really that power of um, compounding and not losing money over time has been demonstrated through Ruffer's history. But then secondly, the power of avoiding volatility is really important for those clients who have drawdown requirements on their portfolios. So in a time when um, your portfolio is heavily down and and you draw from it, this actually um, has an erosive effect over time. So by producing a less volatile approach um, and there not being um, as bad a time to draw from your portfolio, that can actually lead to a powerful outcome in the long run too. And Andrew, as a broad overview of the rougher approach, could you just explain a little bit about the the practicalities involved? Absolutely. And uh, I think it's important to note that this has always been Ruffer's approach. It's just that the way we've had to go about doing it has changed slightly, and that's driven by market conditions. But fundamentally, what are we trying to do? We're trying to build a portfolio of offsetting assets, but obviously it's no good if they all offset each other perfectly and you end up standing still. So we need things that will do well in different scenarios, and we need to balance those out. Um, and most importantly, we want things that we call convex. Um, now, what does that mean? It means something that will do much better. It will accelerate in a certain direction 
um, if things are moving in its favor. And if you can balance those types of investments out, you can end up with something um, that does well enough in normal times, but in ext extraordinary times um, does even better and, and can lead to a very powerful uh, long-term effect. Lauren, perhaps it would be helpful to discuss how the history of Ruffer's protection strategies have evolved. I mean, Andrew mentioned that what we're doing has remained the same throughout the course of Ruffer's history, but clearly the actual assets that you own will be very different now, perhaps, to what was helpful and useful in market crises gone by. An overview would be helpful, um, but, uh, but obviously uh, you don't need to take us through every strategy <laughs> at, at every moment in time. Yeah, we'd be here all day if we, we tried that. But there, there are some discernible themes if we look back through history and that the key point is that, yes, the, the nature of the offsetting quality of assets has changed. Um, it's very much a difficult landscape now to identify safe havens and the, the offsetting qualities in the portfolio right now are very different to, to history. But, but I think one important tactic that we've seen um, through previous inflection points at Ruffer is the avoidance of overvalued areas. So if we take the dot-com era as an example, avoiding all technology, media and telecom stocks in the lead-up to, to the dot-com crash was a really powerful um, way of protecting against the downside. And similarly, in the financial crisis, avoiding financial stocks. And, and Lauren, that sounds very easy to do. You just don't own overvalued assets. Why do investors get caught up in in, in owning the, the, the stocks that are in favour of the day? Well, I think it's, you know, the attractiveness of the returns in the short run and, and, and the stocks that are that are in favour and are popular are likely to be those that continue to outperform in the short run. So we try to take a step back from that, not to be deliberately contrarian, but just to to identify overall portfolio assets that um, blend together nicely to produce this this portfolio that we believe will be robust in different market conditions. So I think uh, importantly for us as well, when we look back through through the past, sometimes our protective positioning has to, has been taken well in advance. And so the, the, the avoidance of the popular stocks can require pace, patience and trust with, with our approach, you know, avoiding internet stocks at a time when the market was booming, avoiding financials and more recently avoiding tech stocks. You know, Ruff has, has stood out from, from avoiding the popular equities, which, which have performed well, but that has then been validated in times when we've seen the sell-off. And that was avoiding financials in the great financial crisis in 2008. So you said that often you take uh, protective positions quite early on. Um, what were the protective positions you actively bought into in 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 01 in the dot com bust, and and then again in in 08 and and in the the COVID crash of of 2020? In the lead up to the 2000s, it was very much a government bond position outside of equities. So 55% of the portfolio was invested in highly rated UK and European debt and cash and currency exposure here favoured sterling and the euro. Uh, so, so really it was that kind of traditional um, flight to safety that really helped us um, in that time and also holding the unfashionable equities. You know, Just as the, the food and bus companies looked stupid in 99, they looked great in 2000 and, and government bonds really, really helped to offset there. Whereas in, the two, in 2008, it was very much more... Um, 
currencies, which also helped. So positioning the Japanese yen and the Swiss franc. Uh, so, so sort of the traditional flight to safety with ultra defensive Swiss gilts and Japanese uh, equities, which which helped. You also then asked about COVID. Well, uh, back to Andrew's point on convex payoffs. During the lead up to the pandemic, we were concerned about the correlation of these safe havens. So we were holding less conventional assets in the form of options and credit protection. Uh, and these were what, what helped to offset losses um, in 2020. Andrew, we've discussed uh, at length on on Ruffer Radio and elsewhere how the the rules of the game appear to be shifting beneath our feet. Conditions today in markets are markedly more challenging, perhaps, than they have been at any point in in recent history. How exactly is this the case and, and how does that change your approach to protection strategies? Well, I, th- I think as investors in the market, uh, uh, you know, many of our list- listeners can probably feel this day to day by the price moves they're seeing and some of the losses that have been experienced. But there are three things that really we, we can point to as as direct evidence of of what's different about today. Um, now, the first one is that asset classes, and by that I mean all sorts of different asset classes, so bonds, equities, commodities, are all being driven by the same couple of risk factors. So there's only really one or two kind of generic factors that are driving prices right across the board. And that's quite unusual. And we, we can measure that. And we've, we've sort of seen that that's trended up um, over the last 15 years or so. Um, now, there are a number of reasons we could point to for why that's the case. It probably has to do with central bank intervention, um, the structure of markets today, the impairment of the risk function through commercial banks. Um, but the upshot is that it's much harder to find diversifying assets um, and to build a portfolio of those assets like we're trying to do um, that can withstand most market environments. The second thing is that we're seeing a much higher incidence of tail risk in, in equity markets, especially. What does that mean? Uh, I, I was just yeah, about exactly. to ask you, what, what do you mean by tail risk? So tail risk is is the events that happen in the tails of distribution, the ones that, that happen less often. Um, now, normally that's fine because you could say that they, they happen less often, therefore they're not important. But what we're seeing is that we are seeing big negative events in the tail happening more often than they used to. And also those events are more severe than they used to be. Um, and again, there's there's probably a few factors we can point to to do with market structures and risk factors. Um, but again, as an investor, you're sitting there day to day and you're experiencing very sharp and very large drops in the equity market that you haven't necessarily seen before, at least at the same frequency. And then the final thing is, is one that everyone's very keenly aware of, but we're at the end, basically, of a 40-year downtrend in interest rates ever since the kind of inflationary period through the 70s and 80s. Um, and, you know, we're not saying that that necessarily needs to reverse completely and start going all the way back up the page, but it is a big change in markets, and it does mean that um, the relationships between assets are going to be very different, and the way we ap- approach investment and portfolio construction is going to have to change as well. Andrew, more recently, you've begun using alternative protections, and Lauren referred to uh, some of the credit positions that were taken in 2020, and indeed the volatility call options. Is that the focus of the protection strategies in the rougher portfolio today? It, it is, and it, I think it's important to to kind of get to why we're using this stuff because. 
in the good old days, you could go and buy you know, a US treasury and be assured that if the equity market fell, that treasury would probably go up in value or at least be less volatile. Um, and that would mean that your portfolio overall was fine. Um, but because we're at the end of that big downward trend in interest rates and because we're seeing inflation coming back into markets, you, can't, you can no longer rely on these assets that used to be very reliably offsetting in the past. So we're finding we're having to go out and find things that we know will be protective. And that means engaging in the derivatives market and using things like equity index options, um, FX options, and also um, protection on credit indices. Um, Unfortunately, when you start to use those instruments, you tend to suffer a drag through time. So they'll cost you money to be in those positions. And that's led a lot of investors to kind of shy away from them um, because returns are hard to come by anyway, as as, as we all know. Um, But we feel that it's actually the very opposite approach should be taken. You should be willing to incur those costs, which then allows you to invest more in equity markets and other assets than you otherwise might. And if you pick the right protections that are convex, again, so will go up by more uh, than your assets are falling in a bad scenario, then the overall balance of your portfolio will mean that that you're protected. Um, you should appreciate slowly through time, but in bad times, you'll hopefully have a positive skew to your return, so they'll go up very strongly. And that's what we're trying to do here. And those are the kinds of instruments that we're looking for and engaging with today. So, Lauren, let's uh, lift the lid slightly on on those protection assets. What do you currently have in play in the portfolio today? So one of the key protective assets that we've got in play for the long-term uh, index-linked bonds, and that's, you know, Ruffer's long-term structural view um, around higher inflation. But in the short run, these are very much vulnerable to rising interest rates. And, and we've spoken about this before, Rory, but it's crucial to us that we can continue to hold them. So we're holding swaptions to protect against uh, the, the fall in the bonds, which is what we've seen significantly this year. Uh, and just for listeners who might not be acquainted with a swaption, could you just just explain how that works? So it's effectively... Um, an instrument which goes up in value when interest rates are rising. And that's one element of it. So you're you're protecting against interest rate risk, but there's also some protection strategies within the, the credit sphere as well. Is that right? Yeah, and some equity market downside protection. So uh, we've got, you know, put, puts, or we have held this year, puts on individual equities, which are designed to go up in value when the equity market's falling. And they've been very important this year. And then on to credit, as you mentioned, uh, credit strategies which effectively go up when there's more disorderly sell-off in, in the bond market. So either when um, corporates look more likely to default, um, these credit default swaps, which uh, go, go up in value significantly in more turbulent times in the bond market. And Andrew, the assets and the protection strategies that you've used in the rougher portfolio have been iterative over the course of the firm's history, but they really have altered quite significantly over the course of the last couple of years or so. And the hunt for convex payoffs, as you said, has become all the more trying. It'd be really helpful just to get an understanding of how these changes have manifested and and to get a sense of the the practicalities of managing the protection strategies on a a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. Well, pre-COVID crash, our job was quite easy, really, because the market was fundamentally 
mispricing these tail risks we've been talking about. The market didn't really think they could happen and they weren't being priced into these protections. So we had stuff that did very, very well in that crash and that, that was fine. But after that, we then found that in most of these areas that we were using, um, the pricing was very much there after the COVID crash, which makes sense because the market's just experienced it. So we'd have to start looking for different ways to try and achieve similar protection. Um, and the first direction we went into was altering the specific thing we were we were holding. So the example here is we used to protect equities very directly, but after the COVID crash, we had to look at FX as a, as a kind of a stand-in for that. And there are certain FX crosses that you know will uh, move in one direction very strongly if equity markets are falling. And that's the kind of thing we'll look at. And, and you, then you have to acknowledge that you're taking on a bit of risk there because uh, you're relying on that correlation between the FX and the equity market to hold. Um, other things we've done is we've looked at targeting um, more specific areas of the equity market as well. So we all know that um, the tech sector was sort of um, ran away with itself a little bit after the COVID crash into the recovery. Um, and some of those areas we found were getting completely overblown and that protection on those those equity indices, um, those sectors of the equity market at least, um, were probably not pricing in uh, the full extent to which they could fall, especially if that sort of crowded mentality of the market started to reverse. Um, so the kind of mid-cap tech sector is where we were looking uh, for those types of things. Um, and then coming into this year, we found that, you know, the biggest risk we were worried about was the perception of inflation um, falling back very strongly because that'll impact our inflation-linked bonds. It'll impact things like energy stocks. Um, so we looked at, at the FTSE 100, the UK index, um, as a good proxy for that kind of measure. Um, and puts on that index, again, were um, not as expensive as they otherwise might be if those bad events come out. So everything I'm talking about here is a kind of, it's sort of a conditional mentality. You don't think about how markets are as they sit today, but you think about what the kind of bad case will look like for your portfolio. And once you can get your head around that, you can then start to think about which protections will work in that conditional scenario, and then look at the pricing of all those different options and, and pick the ones um, that aren't necessarily pricing in those, those bad outcomes and, and go from there. Andrew, it sounds like your job is altogether rather doom and gloom, and you're constantly thinking about what could go wrong, um, which I'm sure is uh, very fun on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, Lauren, then to, to wrap up, um, we've talked a little bit uh, about what we currently have in, in the portfolios, um, but perhaps if you could just recap the, the key tenets to Ruffer's protection approach. Yeah, and I, I used the uh, example of, of tennis at the beginning, Rory, and I think that provides a really good example of of how we approach um, our our portfolio construction. You know, a tennis player will have their ultimate game plan and their style, but they'll have to maintain flexibility and, and reevaluate their strategy um, with what they're faced in front of. So, for us, it's a preoccupation with keeping clients safe and. That's always going to remain the same across market cycles through different challenging investment regimes. But the approach that we take to portfolio construction is different and it has changed through time. We're having to move quickly and with agility within a crisis and change what we own and really test our portfolio to make sure that we're comfortable as far as we can be, that it will be robust and withstand different conditions. 
But this current market environment that we see, um, we see the real need for active portfolio management, that portfolios will need to be steered along the journey. And this requires new skills and, and new ways of, of, of thinking. Uh, but we remain confident that we have the right mix of different assets to face the challenges that we see, um, but also to capture the opportunity in, in the new market regime that we face. Andrew, Lauren, thank you both so much for your time and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Rougher Radio on the App Store, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The views expressed in this podcast are the views of Rougher LLP. They do not constitute as investment research or advice and may be subject to change. Ruffer LLP is regulated and authorised by the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK and is registered as an investment advisor with the US Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Thank you.